I'm so impressed that all of you came here tonight to do this. Blows my mind that you give a shit enough about this life, this world, where we are right now, that you came here tonight just to talk about this and express yourselves and hear each other. I actually want you to be successful, but the only way you do so is not by trying to own people or embarrass them or use language to insult them or drive them apart. Love them more than they love each other. I am really concerned about what I'm seeing in America right now, really concerned about what's happening in American society. I've been focused a lot, as you know, on the family, marriage, parenting, all sorts of individual issues, but I'm also very focused on society and what's going on socially. So you're going to hear me talking about a lot of that going forward. Today, I'm speaking with somebody that shares that with me and somebody that I think has spent his entire career getting his finger on the pulse of what Americans really think. I'm talking about Dr. Frank Luntz. He's an American political communications consultant. He's an author, pollster, and a pundit, best known for developing talking points and other messaging for Republican causes. He's not still so affiliated, but that's what he's best known for. In both 2012 and 2016 elections, Frank was the only non-journalist invited to host a debate of GOP presidential contenders. Now, he's president of Frank Luntz & Associates, Frank I. Luntz & Associates, research and consulting firm, and he has worked for more than 50 Fortune 500 companies and CEOs. Dr. Luntz is currently a professor at NYU Abu Dhabi and visiting professor at USC. And in 1993, he was named a fellow at Harvard University's Institute of Politics, the second youngest individual ever to receive this honor at that time. He's really famous for something called the Instant Response Focus Group. Now, this was something he pioneered and has been profiled on 60 Minutes, Good Morning America on Election Day, and on PBS award-winning Frontline. You've seen him on The Daily Show, Real Time with Bill Maher, Meet the Press, Nightline, The Today Show, PBS NewsHour, Face the Nation. He was a debate night, Election Day, an impeachment commentator on Bloomberg, CNBC, BBC in 2020, CBS in 2016, Fox News, MSNBC. I could just go on and on and on. He's co-hosted many live primetime specials and dial sessions during the presidential debates. But he's best known for his political commentary. More media outlets have turned to him to understand what all of us as Americans think. He's a good listener. If you want to know and understand the hopes and fears of Americans, you turn to him more than any other political pollster. Now, over the past years... Frank has visited more than a half a dozen countries on behalf of the U.S. State Department. He's also written three New York Times bestsellers, Words That Work. It's not what you say, it's what people hear. What Americans really want, really. And his most recent book, Win, 
it reached number two on Amazon. So, Frank, welcome to fill in the blanks. I'm so glad that I get to speak with you. You and I have been friends for a long time, but sitting down and having this kind of a conversation is something I really value right now because, as I said, I'm concerned about what's going on in America right now. I'm concerned about the divisiveness. I'm concerned about what we're doing with young people, particularly in the university. So I want to pick your brain because I know you've been picking everybody else's brain. You've been doing this forever, and I'm really wondering what your opinion is of how things have changed, both politically and non-politically in terms of the way people are thinking and interacting right now. I have my own views about that, but I'm curious what yours are because you're talking and, more importantly, listening to people every day. How are things changing out there right now? I surround myself with people who disagree with me, and it's a great joy to have meals with and conversations with people who, quite frankly, think I'm full of it. And I am shocked that today, 2022, we want to be affirmed rather than informed. We want to be confirmed or validated. And the the challenge to me is that we keep teaching young people pride when we should be teaching humility. There was so much more to learn. There was so much more in in all these various conflicts than we possibly know, and Americans don't want to hear the other story. It's as though we reject Paul Harvey, who most of your listeners won't even know who he is, but we're not looking for the rest of the story. We're not looking for the details. We're simply looking for confirmation of what we already believe. And that, I think, is the greatest threat to democracy. I think it's the greatest threat to the country. And it is something that I don't know how to fix. I don't know what language to use. I don't know what words to say to people. Slow down, ask questions, speak a little bit less, and listen a little bit more. Do you think that led to the stress that caused you to have some medical problems and issues, your frustration with all of this? I know that my not speaking up and speaking out against Donald Trump, I'm going to answer every question you have, and I'm going to do it in a direct way. I appreciate, by the way, As a student of language, you're a nice guy. And you tried to ask me a very gentle question. I'll be more explicit. I had a stroke. My head exploded. And I believe that it did because I saw things that were happening in the country and across the globe. And I knew I should be more vocal about it. But I didn't want the pushback. I didn't want the consequences of it. For my entire life in politics, I attempted to speak truth to power which meant that I would walk into a congressman's office or I'd walk into a CEO's office and I'd say to them that that speech you just gave was awful or you're not connecting to your employees or you're not communicating effectively to the country. Why are you saying that? Why are you doing that? I, that has never been, I've never been afraid. And with Donald Trump, I was afraid. And all you have to do is go online to see what happens. He claims he can take criticism. No, he can't. He's a child, and you can't criticize a child without them fighting back, without them throwing a tantrum, without them misbehaving. There are things that Donald Trump did as president that are damn good. I know that people on the left will hear that, and their minds will explode. But I was afraid to get into that fight 
And I think in the end, my head just exploded. Look, I weighed 238 pounds. My blood pressure was 197 over 122 when I finally did have the stroke. And I say to you all listening to me now, just the, the truth will set you free. I didn't come up with that phrase. Someone else did decades ago, but it's true. You tell the truth and you feel better. You tell the truth and you do better. And I don't know whether to call you Phil or Dr. Phil. I want to be respectful to you because you have earned that respect. But the thing that I've always admired about your public persona is when you challenge people to be authentic in who they are. And the tragedy about America right now is that we punish people when they're authentic. We beat them up if they show any kind of contrition. And we should be rewarding it. This is one of the great differences between us and the Europeans. In Europe, they kick you when you're down. In Europe, if you apologize for something, they beat you up for it. In America, we're the land of second chances. But we've been much less so now. And I regret it. I should have been more vocal. I should have just taken the hits. And I do now. I don't like it. It's not fun. Please understand. When Donald Trump wants to wreck your life, he can, he can get into it. But it doesn't make it right. It doesn't make it, doesn't help anyone anywhere. And I just wish I had been more free with and more outspoken about the dangers that were happening in America over the last five years. The first page of a book never tells the full story. And those news alerts and headlines, like the ones we get on our phones, don't even scratch the surface of what the story is really all about. Stories are like people, multi-layered and complex. It takes some digging to find the truth, but when we find it, it can change our world. We like to dig. The news on Merritt Street, essential television. I'm sitting here listening to you, and I feel like you've been reading my mail because the very things you're saying are a real, I guess, existential crisis that I'm experiencing with myself right now. If I was going to write another book right now, the working title would be, I can't take it anymore because I'm feeling what you were feeling a couple of years ago. I'm watching what's happening in America right now, I'm watching what we're doing in the universities when we are allegedly preparing young people for the real world. And I even say with parents that our job as parents is to prepare our children for the next level of life. We go to universities where there's supposed to be an exchange of ideas, and that's no longer happening. A third of students say it's okay to yell down someone that's speaking that you disagree with. I'm watching what's happening and seeing these young people that are traumatized if somebody asks them to try to resolve cognitive dissonance, try to take the other side's position and articulate it. They go to the dean and say they're traumatized. and I'm watching what we're doing where confirmation bias has become a religion instead of an affliction. I can't take it anymore. Psychologically, I see the pathology of the society, and I feel like I need to do something about it, and I'm not. Okay, well, I got an idea for you, which is you and I together 
although it would be criticized because we're two white men. And by the way, this, uh, when I opened your, your podcast, I talked about embracing other points of view, embracing people that don't look like me. And I had a student up at Harvard, an African-American woman, tell me that it's because of my white male privilege that I have the ability to listen to these points of view and that she doesn't because she's always under attack and she has to associate and affiliate with other black women because it's the only way that she can make it through life. And she's criticizing me for being so open, suggesting that it's because of some something that my ancestors were able to do. And it's that's just crap. You and I together should bring about 20, 25 of these students together. And I'm in fact doing it at my home. This is my home now that you can see behind me. You should come over. It's in two weeks. I've got 20 college Democrats and 20 college Republicans, and I'm going to teach them decency, civility, mutual respect. I'm going to teach them how to disagree without tearing each other apart. And you should join me in that conversation because the only way that we're going to save society, and I think we're too late, but the only chance that we have is for young people to stand up and for them to say enough already, enough cancel culture enough wokeism, enough of accusations and labeling of people. If if you give up and if I give up, then we will surely, uh, we, we will never recover. And the way that I look at it is I'm very pessimistic about my own future. And this is going to sound horrible and you may not even want listeners to hear it. But I, my friends know I feel this way. I don't think I'm going to be around for that long. And I'm a little bit thankful for that because I think those things that made America so great, the willingness to take the arrows, the willingness to fight for freedom, the willingness to stand up when things were unfair and to try to fix that which is wrong. And boy, there are things that are wrong in this country. But the willingness to make a difference, we're just critics now. And all we do is accuse and we label And if I'm not long for this world, I don't mind that because I never thought I'd be around to see the decline and fall of the United States of America. And I had this conversation with Mitch McConnell and he tore me apart because he's an optimist. But I know what the American people are saying. I know what the American people are thinking. And all you have to do is is go to a session in LA or San Francisco or New York or Philadelphia or Boston and people hate each other and they rip into each other and they don't learn from each other. And it is the worst on college campuses. So you and I together should do one of these sessions because I think it'd be great for your, your listeners, great for your viewers. And you would really understand how awful college campuses have become today. Well, if that's a genuine invitation, I will be there, and I'll be there 10 times if you want to do it 10 times. But I think all the cities that you named, none of them were in any of the flyover states. And I don't know what Mitch McConnell's ideas are, but I am the incurable optimist about the human spirit, and I'm not as jaundiced about it yet as you are, but I haven't talked to as many people about this as you have. I mean, we survived the Civil War, and we're still here. I believe there's got to be some way to find some unifying principle. 
I'm Frank. How y'all doing? I'm Frank. How y'all doing? Who here's from USC? Sensors. Who here's not from USC? I wanted to have people from UCLA to make you feel superior. Uh, this is important to me. Who's had me as a student? Okay, so most of you don't know me. I am interested in the civility and respect, and they're going to be filming this, and there's going to be a special guest who's going to come out and say hello to you, and he's going to participate in this conversation with me. We're going to debate tonight, and you're going to tell me what topics. I have 22 different questions, and you guys are going to choose four of them. I'm going to do 15-minute debates on each. So I want to introduce you to a special guest who cares what you are thinking, what you are feeling. These are why the cameras are here. So come on out, special guest. Hey, guys. So what do I have to do to get that kind of reaction? That's, you have to get taller. I'm getting go, taller in the wrong direction. Go bald, I guess. I don't know. He's here because he's a linguist. He's here because he understands human behavior. And he wanted to hear you all speak and communicate. There's one thing that I need you to learn from this whole conversation. It's not what you say that matters. It's what people hear. When you're debating, when you're arguing, look them straight in the eye. I make eye contact and I don't look away. And it's hard. And by the way, one of my problems, and I need help, I really do, is that I look for the person who's most annoyed with me. And that's the person I stare at. So the whole room could be going like this and really into it. And I'm focused on the one individual that's giving me a hard time. Why is that? I work a lot with juries and we always went after that person. The nine we've got, we don't focus on. We focus on the person we don't have because the real closing argument takes place in the jury room, not in the courtroom. And so we go after that person. And if we can get them, then we know we're making progress. I don't want to preach to the choir. I want to preach to the people that don't agree with me and see if I can persuade them. So I assume that's why you focus on the person that you don't have giving you minimal encouragers with everything you're saying. So think about this. How often do you see a conservative who comes to your campus that you really don't want there? How often are you trying to move them over to your side versus to dismiss them or embarrass them? to debate them, not to change hearts or minds, but to embarrass. That doesn't win anybody over. College Democrats and college Republicans should be doing so much stuff together because you got one thing in common. You care about your country. You care about your country, don't you? You care about your country, don't you? Don't you realize you've got that in common? That you actually care about what happens to the future of America? Can I ask a question before you move on? Yes. I do a lot of work with law enforcement, particularly with negotiators, hostage negotiators, that sort of thing. What do you think the number one objective is with an FBI negotiator if they're working with someone that's taken hostages? What do you suppose their number one objective is in establishing their relationship 
with the hostage taker. Mm -hmm. What do you think? Preserve life. Yeah, of course, they want people out. What do you, what do you think? Understand their reasoning. Um, I'd say try to humanize them in a way that like also connects them like with their family and their friends. In a sense, some of that is right, but they will tell you this. They have never had a hostage taker surrender or release a hostage until that hostage taker believes the negotiator understands why they took those hostages to begin with. You don't have to agree with it. They have to know you understand why they did what they did. And that hostage taker is never releasing those hostages till he knows that that negotiator gets why he did that. And that's not happening on college campuses. They're not understanding why that person that they're objecting to being there feels the way they feel. I didn't say you have to agree with them, just that you understand why they're taking the position. You may think it's total crap, but you understand why they feel that way. I'm going to ask Democrats, give me a word or phrase to describe Republicans. Start with the engineer. Word or phrase to describe Republicans. Fiery. Nationalist. Emotional. Responsible. Conservative. Prejudiced. Word or phrase to describe Democrats. Sensitive. Emotional. Naive. Young. Activists. Censors. When she says prejudice, anyone on this side, what's your reaction to that? It's an assumption. Do you think that it's an assumption that's deserved? In the same way that I am prejudiced, she is equally as prejudiced. That's a really strong thing to say. What was the word you used? Censors. Censors. Yeah. How do you respond to what he said? Anybody here? I, I think what happened in Florida just now is a, is a good example where Disney spoke out against the uh, don't say gay bill and the Florida legislature moved to take away Disney's special tax status. Um, so that doesn't seem like Democrats censoring to me. That's one of, like, one of my biggest issues is like, like, for example, don't say gay isn't even really in the legislation. So it's this, the hijacking of these narratives that aren't really entirely accurate that kind of stokes division in itself. It's a really strong accusation. How can it stow division when Don't Say Gay specifically is censoring certain information in, in elementary classrooms? No, it's the, the bill is about limiting sex, sexual education and sexual orientation education in the classroom. It's saying that it's the perspective that that, should be, that shouldn't be done in the classroom setting. If you can't teach religion in a public classroom setting, why should you be discussing sexual orientation? You teach, you know, elementary small children about a virgin birth in the Bible, and that has to do with sexuality. If a public high school teacher or a professor at USC mentioned Christianity or invoked the virgin birth, I think the Democratic side would really be, would be upset with that and try to censor that and cancel them. I mean, they would probably not only be fired, but possibly sued. But I'm not saying in a classroom setting. I'm saying at home. You're saying that, oh, children are too underdeveloped to be able to understand these kinds of topics. And yet at home and, and at church, you're, you're, you're talking about these things. If the state can't pick a side with religion, why is it you know, teaching kids something like this so young? Going into the private life and even back to your point, 
a lot of what is not even taught in the private life or in the home is about sexual orientation or understanding. You can't dismiss a child for knowing this at such a young age or even letting them have that voice to have that that come out at some point. And a lot of the time, sexual orientation, all that comes to sexual education, yes, partially is tongue of school, but a lot of it is already censored because of legislation. I have a question for you guys. We don't start our times tables till we're in first grade. We don't start pre-algebra till we're in fifth grade. So why, if we already regulate bipartisan education topics, can we not regulate the ages that you are taught something as important as sexual orientation? We already regulate other subjects. Because you can't regulate what's not there. The fact of the matter is, is that the American school system is so lacking in our sexual education programs in the first place that any removal of some sort of education is going to really impact students. I was able to learn about, you know, healthy sexual relationships or healthy relationships dynamics. If I had learned that in school, I think it would have been a lot healthier for me than learning about it on the internet where that's unregulated and that's gonna be unsafe. Even learning the vocabulary words for certain body parts can help children feel more empowered and confident in um, confronting sexual abusers or knowing, you know, is this a safe touch? Is this not a safe touch? These are the kinds of things that I personally don't trust my, my fellow Americans to teach their children at the certain ages. What's the environment for Republicans on college campuses? I'm asking you. I would say it's uh, not as welcoming. Um, most of the time, I, re I refrain from having kind of political conversations, uh, generally because the topics tend to get over, uh, overblown or overheated. What does it feel like to be a Republican on campus? Frightening. Frightening. Uh, frightening. Why? Uh, I related a lot to, I'm a member of the Christian club on campus, one of the Christian clubs, and so just because of it's very polarized. There are many people who, if you announce to others that you are a Christian, that you believe in Christ and you have a faith centered around such an individual that you are in a way looked down upon because again, something that liberals or Democrats generally will argue about is that you are against people who identify as homosexual or non-heterosexual. Overall, you carry this cloak that really makes you stand out among, among others and it feels like you're targeted but what's what's your reaction to that uh, i just want to disagree with this sentiment that um politically diverse ideas are not welcomed on college campuses i think we as americans are as divided as we are at college campuses it, it's translating from our national politicians and the media we are just a byproduct of what our politicians and our media are telling us every day and when we do interact we are reflecting our larger society, which is more polarized than ever before. So just because we are young, in my opinion, uh, and this, 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 this sentiment that college campuses are the only areas of the American populate that are, that are divided is just not accurate, in my opinion. Going back to you saying that you were terrified to be a Republican on campus, I have firsthand experienced some of the biggest I, atrocities is basically the word I would use to describe coming from the USC GOP, calling women who've had abortions murderous whores. Oh, it goes on. Commenting on women's appearances, come like 
comparing their personalities to, oh, like she looks this way. So like, this is of course her personality. But when it's going on in a, like a group chat messaging with the entire club and the president is seeing this and commenting things when no one is calling anybody out, when comments are being liked, it's the entire club. So for you to say that you're terrified to be on campus as a Republican, I'm terrified to be on campus with individuals who think this way. We have a group chat that is for a lot of people in, in our group, I would feel the most comfortable talking about anything is in this chat because we can't just blatantly go walking around campus talking about the things we said. It is polarizing if I was to put my opinion out there. I'm not condoning what he said about you. It's absolutely inappropriate. But to, to go ahead and use that as a generalization and say that, guess what? He can say that and we also can give him give him backlash on it. We have. But what else do you expect us to do other than you generalizing us into that group? I think the issue here more is the animosity from both sides. I, I've i experienced it myself from your members last year, one of them. And this isn't in a group chat. He made fun of me, called me Kamala because I am outspoken. And, you know, I mean, you're right here. That happened. And at the end of the day, it's not, you know, oh, who, where, where's the screenshot? Who cares about that? That's not what we're here for. We're here to, like, build bridges and understand each other. And that's really hard to do when there are names being called and there's just you know, looks and certain things where we, we can't build bridges that way. How many of you were punished by a professor or canceled by a club, something significant, because your point of view was not the same as the professor's point of view or the same as a group of students' point of view? Who's actually faced it in this room? Raise your hands. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Same number of Republicans and Democrats. Five Republicans, four Democrats. So what's the problem? The example of the, the, the bill in uh, Florida denying all government, all the state uh, advantages that the Disney had. I think it's a difference when a company is using, where, where they're getting, they're essentially living in Florida's house. They're, they give them a seat in, in, in the house and then they're going to go in to interfere with something that actually isn't even based out of their state. They're, it's a California company. So guess what? They, you you go, ahead, go ahead and bite the hand that feeds you. It's going to pull back. I don't consider that canceling. I consider it, hey, you know, get what, get what you got going to you. So you started to laugh at him, which is something that you all mentioned before. I know he wasn't telling a joke. Why were you laughing? No, uh, I was laughing at Christian's enthusiasm. <laughs> Corporations should not be retaliated against for expressing views on issues by government actors financially in order to corral them onto their side in a culture war. Which you used to believe. This is a Republican point of view that a Democrat is articulating. I am saying that having the Lieutenant Governor of Florida go on the air and openly admit it was a quid, it's a quid pro quo, of them breaking from the Republicans on this issue and then having Disney be punished by the Republican Party for expressing a socially or culturally different view in order to threaten other companies into falling in line with them. That type of regulation comes straight out of platforms similar to the Italian fascist platform. Absolutely. Do, do you actually not mean liberal. that? It's an Italian Ill fascism. Italian fascism. Is that the words you want to say in a discussion like this? Or do you want to take it back? I'm asking you a specific question, Italian fascism. I'm a language guy. 
Do you want to accuse them of that? Yes no, or no? No, it was a simile. I didn't say it was. You said it was okay, like it's- It is illiberal and goes against free exchanges of ideas. Then why did you use that term? Because corporatism is used historically by Latin American fascist governments. Once again, with the fascism term. I'm not saying this as an insult. I'm t- to use that phrase, did you not? We can play the tape back. I play the tape back. I didn't call him a fascist. You said it was like fascism, like Italian fascism. Yeah, I'm sticking by it. My point is correct. <laughs> I'm saying that policy is similar to policies that were in, for example, the Italian fascist platform meant to corral the business community onto one political side. If you got something to say to him, say it. Stop doing it through him. How do you want to respond to him? Go ahead. As someone who's not a part of either the USC GOP or uh, the Democratic Club, like I know Dr. Phil, big fan, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I know that you said that you found this to be respectful, but for me personally, like to use Colby's word, this is kind of horrifying. Like this doesn't seem to be like a politics issue. It seems like you guys just fundamentally don't like each other as people. It seems like this is going beyond your political beliefs and is really being like an assault on on both sides of your characters. Is this not an example of passion? No, it goes beyond passion. I'm confident in that. I know what I'm saying. Do you you buy this? By the way, I said that before we started using similes like Italian fascism. (laughs) (laughs) There's no point to using words like that on both sides other than trying to get your point across. Why do you think people on this side are this passionate or post-passionate to the point of like what you believe is aggression and anger? And I, I fully will believe and understand that because, yeah, some of what's happened to you, what you've been explaining sounds fucking horrifying. Sorry. It's horrifying. <laughs> and that sucks. But why do you think people have this response towards conservative politics when we feel the exact same way about conservative politics, that we feel that we're getting this response from conservative people. I I don't think it's so much a political issue. Like, yes, politics got radicalized on both sides, yes, but it's a generational issue. We have the attention span worse than a goldfish. People cannot even watch a 15-second TikTok. I'm surprised everyone is still here, right? How can people actually engage in a conversation that, you know, it's for two hours if we can't even watch a 15 second TikTok? It's a generational issue. I think that this conversation has brought out some of the worst in both sides in vocabulary, but also just in where both sides are getting pretty riled up, right? And that's just not my experience with Republicans on campus. And I really hope that that's not your overall experience with Democrats on campus. I mean, I hope. I think I'm getting to know everybody and I'm feeling a lot more empathetic towards your point of view. Can I respond to that? Uh, but I want Dr. Oh, yeah, Phil let Dr. Go. Phil go first. <laughs> <laughs> I'm wondering, are you trying to win an argument, make your point and get it across, bang, 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 or are you trying to solve a problem, reach a common ground. Because I felt like for a while, there was some problem solving going on. And then I think it deteriorated into trying to win an argument. Were you trying to win an argument or were you trying to solve a problem? 
uh, I think we try to win arguments as trying to as part of trying to solve a larger problem. His point is important. The best thing that you all have done on this side is that you ask questions, because that will both through the question you get a better understanding of where they come from, and in the way that you frame the question, you're boxing them in a little bit. So you're doing both at the same time, but you're giving them the chance to be heard. And on your side, there are several of you who are really reaching out to that side, who are trying to find that common ground because there's a humanity. My life is about conflict resolution now. And I believe that we are far worse today because of our previous president, and I now say so publicly, because he never saw a conflict he didn't want to engage and provoke and make much, much worse. And there was a time when I didn't want to say that because I did not want to get the shit of him and all the people who support him, and it just wasn't worth it. And then I realized the damage that he'd done to you all. There are several people over here. You want them to feel what you felt, but you want to punish them for what you felt as opposed to establish empathy. We don't spend enough time trying to walk in each other's shoes. We don't spend enough time trying to learn each other's challenges. You have been blessed with instant information, instant friendships, instant everything across the globe. And what do you do? You find a reason to beat each other up. But don't we forget that there are people behind these beliefs? Everybody's been sitting for a long time. Can we do like a two-minute exercise? Let me tell you, here's what I want you to do. I want people to pair up in what I call a standing dyad. And there's a rule to this. There can be zero small talk. You can't say anything. Let me have you. And I'll use you as an example. Come right here. And let me have you. Right here. Come on. Okay, this is a standing dyad. You can't say a word. I just want you to get right here and make eye contact. You're in each other's personal space. We got left and right. I just want you to make eye contact. Don't say anything. Just look at each other. Now, everybody on the left, everybody on the right, find a partner. No, no, don't talk. Just find a partner and get in a standing dyad like this. Okay. <laughs> just make eye contact. Don't say anything. Look each other in the eye. Don't look away. We don't do this enough. And obviously, I'm leaving you here. This is the ultimate pregnant pause. And you probably haven't looked anybody in the eye this much for a long, long time. And realize you're looking at another human being. They have parents, brothers, sisters. They get up in the morning. They have to decide what to wear. They have to decide what they're going to do. They have fears, prides, thoughts, feelings, just like you do, okay? A, tap B on the shoulder. There's just two of you. You'll work it out. A, tap B on the shoulder. Okay, now, when I say go, and not until I say go, A, I want you to say one of four things. You're going to say, I trust you, I don't trust you, I don't know if I trust you, or I'd rather not say. Go. All right, B, go. Okay, all right, hold on. Okay, no, no talking. 
if you are a Republican, if you are on the right side of the room, raise your hand. All right, you on the left, find a new partner right quick. Left, find somebody with one that's got their hand in the air. All right. You should now have a new partner, somebody from the left and somebody from the right. Make eye contact. Look this person in the eye. Consider them as a human being. When I say go, A, I trust you, I don't trust you, I don't know if I trust you, or I'd rather not say. A, go. <laughs> All right, B, go. Okay, if you're from the right, raise your hand. Left, find a new partner one more time. Eye contact, consider this person. I mean, really, don't just go through the motions. Just think about this person. What did they go through today? Have they lost a loved one lately? Are they having financial trouble? Have they accomplished something great lately? Are they lonely? Did they just get engaged? All right, V, your turn. Go. All right. Okay, everybody have a seat. Well, that's just a real simple little experiential exercise. First off, without any structure, what was your reaction? What did you experience? When you were asking the questions about what did they do this morning? Did they lose a loved one? Like all these questions that you might be asking about yourself and things that you might really consider important to yourself, you realize that there's someone behind these political ideals, someone that may be dealing with issues that you yourself might be dealing with, and it's not all just about what we disagree on. I completely agree with you. I think it I felt very, with each and the three of them, I felt very connected. Um, didn't Wasn't even considering their affiliation or their identity. I just saw a human being and had that empathy. Uh -huh. It also made me think that it's a lot harder to say you don't trust someone to someone you're looking straight at, whereas it's so much easier to hide behind a screen and kind of assume things about people when you're looking at them in the face and kind of thinking about these questions, like seeing them as a person. It's a lot different. Yeah. When you were asking me to look at this person and view them as a human being, it was something that I already knew what to do. But at the same time, I also realized that I sometimes personally forget to do that. Yeah. How about you? I just saw everyone as a as a human. Before you ask those questions, you know, and my partners that I that I had, they can testify to this. It was just we looked at each other, we laughed. You know, there was no there was no tension. There was no. Oh, I wanna I wanna strangle this person. Not that I ever feel that way. I'm just saying, like, it can get to that extreme, right? If if we're pushed to those limits. But here I was with a stranger, laughing, smiling. How'd you decide who was A or B? I just went for it. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I want to know how many of you were A three times? Three times. Okay, look at this. You guys need to be a little bit more humble. You guys need to be A's a little bit more often. But that, that's, for me, a holy shit finding. Yeah. 
Yeah. I now want to try this with all of America. <laughs> Watch what's going to happen. I'm going to get arrested by going around A, touch B. <laughs> by a show of hands, who trusted more at the beginning? Raise your hands. By a show of hands, who trusted more at the end? Okay, so why? With the first person, we were told not to talk to one another. So we were quiet. We didn't get to really converse or learn anything until the second time it became more casual. We started talking. And then by the third, I remember I was just, we were just talking and chilling about UFC or something. And so we had that connection. I think the third time, um, our body language were more open. So we're kind of just like mimicking each other's body language. So like, it makes me feel more at ease. And I'm pretty sure it would make the other person feel more at ease. Um, so that's probably why I was a little bit more trusting. Go ahead. The third question, like we really thought about like, did they lose someone? Um, what do they care about? Uh, just like more personal questions that got me thinking. And in my, like in my pair, like we both said we trusted each other. When you look at someone in the eye, I was just intimidated by the commonality as Dr. Phil was posing those questions. And I was kind of imagining them in certain scenarios. And I feel like politics today is a he said, she said game. We're just thinking about our short-term goals, not really thinking about the bigger picture of us as like humans. We need to live amongst each other with peace and harmony. How did you learn how to do this? Just a, a matter of eye contact with people regarding each other as human beings that has to trump everything else. If you don't start on a human-to-human -human basis, then you're building a house on sand, whether it's crime, violence, mugging, insults, what, whatever kind of disrespect for another person becomes so much easier if you don't regard them personally. And if you do regard them personally, then it's so much harder to disrespect and disregard the worth of that human being. And it's such a fast-paced society that we don't really take time to look at each other and regard each other as human beings. I think that's just so important. So I'm gonna give you two pieces of advice. Number one is you really need to show and you really need to mean that you get it, that you understand it. I get that something really bad happened to you, but understand why it happened. Second, please don't make a statement, make a difference. My students know I say this all the time, and I mean it so much. I actually want you to be successful. But the only way you do so is not by trying to own people or embarrass them or use language to insult them or drive them apart. You should be bear-hugging them. You should be pulling them to your side, not pushing them away. Love them more than they love each other. Respect them more than they respect themselves and watch how many people will listen to you and learn from you, and their ideas may change. I spend a lot of time hearing what isn't said and reading what people say non-verbally. When I saw you talking about your experiences on campus, you know, both sides, you, know, you articulating what you were saying and you what you were reading and on the screenshots, I felt a lot of pain being experienced. I think anytime I see anger, I see hurt, fear, and frustration. You know, if you look past the anger, behind it is hurt, fear, and frustration. I believe in the principle of reciprocity. You get what you give. What you put out in the universe is what comes back. If you look within yourself 
and give away what you need the most, you'll be amazed how fast you fill yourself up. If you feel marginalized on campus or you feel attacked, reach out to somebody that you know has got you feeling that way. Like when he was being attacked, for example, if somebody had gone say, man, this must really suck for you and I'm sorry about that. I know you're a human being and I love you as a human being. I promise you would have gone home feeling better that day. Give away what you need the most and it fills you up, which kind of goes back to what I was having you do when I was having you look in each other's eyes. The second piece of advice is I really do believe that the job of every one of you in this room is to star in your own life. And you got to ask yourself what kind of star you want to be. Is it inspirational or is it aggressive? What kind of star do you want to be in your own life? I'm so impressed that all of you came here tonight to do this. It just blows my mind that you give a shit enough about this life, this world, where we are right now, that you came here tonight just to talk about this and express yourselves and hear each other. That just, I'm like, holy shit. I'm so impressed. I would not have done this at your age. I just didn't give a shit. My dad died when I was 42. And at that time, I was doing pretty good. But my dad, I was born, lived, and he died without ever telling me he was proud of me one time in my whole life, ever. Graduated number one in my class, went to school on a football scholarship. But I figured out sometimes you got to give yourself what you wish you could get from somebody else. And so I decided I got to star in my own life. And I hope all of y'all do that and decide what kind of star you want to be. I just wanted to um, sort of like make a statement or ask an appeal as a way of making a step towards bridging, um, I guess, the political divide on campus um, with a, a thing that was talked about, about screenshots in a group chat. Um, currently, of that member, we've talked to him. Um, he's scared for his life because he said something that was he believed was in a private group chat. I think a great step forward in showing trust in both sides is our member and um, your member would like to meet and talk it out personally and try to resolve it. I think that'd be a great, great step forward in just sort of resolving a conflict that shouldn't be uh, such big of an issue that it's become. That specific member who made the most atrocious comments. I knew him personally, like we weren't necessarily friends, but like we would say hi to each other on campus. I will not talk to him. Like I, there's like bridging gaps and everything, but I also know that I don't owe him anything. Like the things that he said, shouldn't, I sh- should, no one should ever have to hear the, or read those things ever. So he does not owe me talking to him and I will not talk to him. I've been doing this for 45 years and I never put an abuser and their victim together unless the victim asked for that. And it sounds like you were abused in some way by this person. But I would really encourage you to forgive him for yourself. You have to let it go for you. You don't have to tell him you've let it go, because if not, 
you and this person, whoever it is and whatever he said, you and he are locked in a bond forever unless you decide, I'm unwilling to invest any more energy in you ever, not one whit, I'm out. Or you're going to stay locked in a bond. And I hope you get to the point where you can do that. And I'm going to challenge you. You tell your friend that he has to earn and deserve her and their acceptance of his apology. He actually has to come on bended knee and say, I was an idiot. What I did was wrong. So I was waiting for you to say, not only does he feel awful, but he will do something positively to make a difference in their lives. Go write an article where you acknowledge to the community that you made a mistake. And until he's willing to give that additional commitment, they don't owe him anything. And I'm not saying what she should do with him. I'm just being selfish on your behalf. And whatever he does or doesn't do, you need to take your power back and set yourself free. Rise above this. If he does the right thing, great. If he doesn't, too bad. You need to let yourself go and take your power back. These are the words that influence people. The most powerful word in the English language is the word imagine. When you ask people to imagine life at perfection, every one of you has a different dream. Every one of you has a different visualization. And every one of you is correct. Restoring human dignity is brand new. And it's more of a word on this side than it is this side. And I will tell you all, start using it because it's a word that they appreciate because it means something to them. It means genuine respect. By the way, stop with this diversity. I say this to you all. You realize that diversity to you means something completely different to them. This is your lexicon, y'all. It works for everyone. Don't just say things because it sounds good to you. Say things that actually have an impact. I guess my question is, how do you make an impact on people that are reluctant to hear what you have to say? And how can you actually have a conversation with people that care more about winning an argument than solving a problem? I'm not going to have an argument with someone who has stopped listening. That's a waste of time. I want to know what your issues are. I want to know what your priorities are. Maybe I'll try to move you. Maybe I won't. But it begins with knowing what's on your mind, really knowing what's in your heart. And if I don't know that, I cannot be effective. For me, it's finding out what their currency is. Even a two-year-old kid, they've got a currency. It may be their little lovey blanket. Everybody has a currency. And if you'll listen, they'll tell you what's urgently relevant to them. Some people talk in feeling terms, and if you'll really see it through their eyes and meet them where they are, then you can really get across. And I learned a long time ago to quit telling people they need help. (laughs) I started telling them what they deserve, and that made a big difference. Well, first of all, thank you both for just engaging in this conversation. I think it's really great that so many people are here, and it seems like it's the loudest voices on campus. But I, I, I think about the silent middle. Um, I think about just the people who maybe don't feel comfortable or like confident enough to engage in the space. Sometimes I was just like, why aren't we talking as much policy? Like, why, like, 
it, it went to character so fast. And I think this exercise was like really cool in terms of just like being able to look people in the eye and say, I trusted them. But how do we move from a space where we can get more people to engage? Because that's how change is going to happen. It's not going to keep happening if it's just us. Feel safe. You got to make them feel safe to do it. And that means meeting them where they are instead of asking them to meet you where you are. Or ask them what's important to them. Listen, 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 and bring them along. And you got to be curious and let them know that you really want to understand them. If I want to engage people from the UK, I know that I have to make fun of the US. So the way that I do a focus group is I begin with, tell me the thing you hate most about America. And they feel so bad when they're done trashing America that for the rest of it, they want to tell me what I'm asking for. Humility goes so much farther than pride. I think it's interesting that a lot of what we talked about has kind of like stemmed from issues of social media, the internet, like that, that seems to be a problem. But uh, I'm curious, because you talk about how our generation, we have so much information like readily, readily available. We can make friends with anyone on the other side of the world. You talk about cyberbullying. Um, where's the balance? Like how much, how much trust do we really have to put in social media? Or is it, is it more of a problem that prevents us from doing things like this? Well, I just finished the 20th season of my show. And when I started it, there wasn't any Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, none of that existed. I think it's a trade-off that I think is coming at a very high price in terms of interpersonal skills. I'm really worried about it. You know, they call it WWW, the World Wide Web. I think it's the wild, wild web. I think the fact that it's so unregulated. And people think, I, I read it on the internet, so it's got to be true. Bullshit. It's not true. People trust the web more than they trust their own doctor. Yeah. That's when you know you got a problem. The people who are not vaccinated right now, and it's still more than 20% of America, the number one source of information for them is the web. And 83% of all statistics are made up on the spot. That's right. <laughs> and this was part of the 17%. <laughs> Based on what you have seen here today, do you feel that there's actual hope for bridging that that gap between us, do you have hope for our generation? Because I know you don't, but one day I really hope you will. I have more hope because of this conversation. Some of you are bright as hell, and I want you in my class. I'm listening to how you're putting forward your arguments and the stuff that you know. For those of you who sat here and did not participate, I don't know why. Because you're not going to make things better unless you get involved. The tension back and forth is unnecessary. Cut it out for those of you who are participating in it. But I think you're getting a good education. I hope so. And it, is such a, it really is a privilege to be able to do this. And you have no idea how great it is to sit next to him. Well, just know I'm more optimistic than he is and know that I'm working on him. And I got to tell you, he's... I, He's, he's moving a little bit. Like I said, I hear what isn't said. And I think there have been a lot of people that didn't comment that have really been processing a lot of what's going on tonight. And I think the fact that they're here is participating. I really commend those that are here, even if you didn't talk tonight. It, that's a lot of effort to be here on a Friday night. Come listen to a couple of old guys talking. I mean, that's pretty good. So I give everybody credit for being here. And I am optimistic about 
this generation. I'm more optimistic after tonight than I was before I got here, and I was optimistic before I got here.